Well, after posting his 95 theses on the Castle Church door in Wittenberg, Martin Luther was a wanted man. The Pope wanted him dead. Uh, the local authority, Prince Frederick III, wanted him alive. Uh, the people wanted him to simply explain what it is he was saying and prove it from the Bible. Remember, in those days, the, the Bible was only available uh, in Latin. Latin was the, the language of the educated elite. Generally, each town would only have one person who knew Latin, that would be the priest. And so the people didn't know what the Bible said, they didn't know how to interpret it, and they were really taught that it didn't matter what they thought, it only mattered what the priest thought. They would only be held accountable for whatever they were taught. And so people never read the Bible for themselves. Indeed, they couldn't, because they didn't know Latin. Then in 1521, Luther was summoned to a legal hearing, known as a diet, uh, in the town of Worms. That's it famously became known as the Diet of Worms, which is a dessert we have around Reformation Day as well. Um, and this was because Luther realized that the only way the Reformation was going to take root and that people were going to go back to the teachings of Scripture rather than the dogma that had piled up over the century that contradicted Scripture was if people were reading the Bible. But in order to do that, he couldn't teach all of Germany Latin he needed to translate the Bible into German, but he just didn't have time for such a big project. And in God's providence, in 1521, when he was summoned by the Holy Roman Emperor to this diet, uh, he went there and made a name for himself even worse than the one he had made before. Uh, he, this was where he was told to recant his teachings, where he had been teaching that the Catholic Church was wrong, that the Pope was wrong in the places where he contradicted Scripture. And he was told to recant, and this is where he notoriously stated, Unless I am convinced by scripture and plain reason, I do not accept the authority of the popes and councils, for they have contradicted each other. My conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and I will not recant anything, for to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. God help me. Here I stand, I can do no other. Well, after that, his days were numbered. Um, rumors had it that he was going to be kidnapped and executed. And on the way home from that diet, Martin Luther was kidnapped, but not by the Pope, but by the local authority. Frederick III was also known as Frederick the Wise, who wanted Luther to stand trial legally and not be executed without a trial. That's why he kidnapped him, to keep him safe. And so he kept him under protective custody at Wartburg Castle. And here, Luther, for the first time, had no students to teach, had no church to preach in, really had nothing to do. And so he translated the whole Bible from Hebrew and Greek into German. And because the Gutenberg Press had recently been invented. The German Bible now spread throughout Germany, and soon hundreds and thousands of people were reading God's Word for the first time in their own language. And that is really the spark that ignited the Reformation, that helped it spread to the rest of Europe, as now people were translating the Scriptures into their own languages. We know that Tyndale translated it into English as well. And at that point, Luther decided to make up for lost time. 
he hadn't been able to teach or preach while he was translating, and now everyone had a Bible, he decided to preach as much as he could. He was working as a full-time university professor and raising six children, by the way. He started with a meager load of 200 sermons a year. That's four times a week. I preach three times a week, and I'm not also a full-time um, professor, although my kids sometimes feels like I have six. But on top of those four times, he also preached a separate sermon for his children and their friends every Sunday. Mm -hmm. His typical week consisted of this. Sunday, a 5 a.m. sermon on an epistle. 10 a.m. sermon on a gospel. Sunday afternoon was from the Old Testament. Monday and Tuesday, he preached a sermon from the Catechism. Wednesdays on Matthew. Thursdays and Fridays on the Apostolic Letters. And on Saturday on John. You notice that he stepped up his rate of preaching until he was preaching 3,000 sermons in a period of four years. That is two or more sermons a day for four years. During this time, for a period of three years, he wrote a publishable theological work in biblical doctrine every other day for three years. Until the day of his death, Luther preached thousands of sermons, thousands of lectures, he wrote hundreds of books, essays, articles, pamphlets, and hymns, all saturated with scripture. Why? Because he understood that knowing, hearing, understanding, and believing the word of God is what leads to people being saved. Not baptism, confession, indulgences, and good works, but the word of God. He said, if I could today become king or emperor, I would not give up my office as a preacher. Luther was a man who understood the importance of God's word for salvation. And there's another man who understood this, the apostle Peter. So turn your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter, this is a part two in a little series that we're doing here on the word of God. Last week we saw part one, just to remind you of where we are in the the epistle, this is a, a letter that, Paul, uh, that, that Peter is writing to Christians who have been scattered abroad because of persecution. And this is really his message to them to keep calm and carry on. That no matter what's happening, no matter how chaotic things get, just do the next right thing. And so he's been talking about salvation and the eternality of, of your salvation and the security of it. And now he's transitioned into the, a little section on the word of God. That this is our hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy, as it were. This is the book that you need to navigate you through these difficult times. So don't panic and make sure that you understand the, the power of God's word and that you're reading it. So that's where we find ourselves. Last week we saw, uh, you know, we were looking at five characteristics. Last week we saw the first three. Five characteristics of the Bible so that you will effectively employ it in working out your salvation. And of those five characteristics, last week we saw the divine power that the Bible is actually effective, that God uses it to save people. Uh, the word of God, the gospel in the word of God. Secondly, the divine source. This is how we know the Bible doesn't have any mistakes in it and errors because it is breathed out by God. And so God was responsible for the production of the word of God. Then we saw the divine activity and the, how it's different from other books and how it actually affects your life and changes you and matures you and makes you more like Christ as you read it and understand it and apply it. 
And today we're going to look at the next two, the, the final two, divine eternality and divine mobility. Eternality and mobility. So let me pick it up in verse 23. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So just in that little section here, we're going to look firstly at the eternality of God's word. Verse 24, he says, All flesh is like grass, and its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. So I want you to complete the idiom for me. How does this idiom go? All good things must, what? Come to an end. We live in a world where we understand that, that everything has an ending date. Everything has an expiry date. Everything in the world has an expiry date, including the world that we live in. And we know this. And so to shrink wrap our finite minds around a concept like eternality is very difficult for us. There's really nothing in our experience that we know this will be here forever. That once this comes into existence, it is always in existence. The closest thing maybe you know of is a human soul. Once a, a human soul is created, that soul will remain forever. But that's hard for us to get our minds around because the body that the soul is in has an expiry date. Some are closer to theirs than others. There's no real way of knowing. But here what Peter is doing is he's reminding us that the word of God remains forever. The word of God will last longer than the world in which you live. And he does this with a poetic contrast. He talks about the transience of human lives versus the permanence of God's word. So he's contrasting our experience of our own lives with the word of God. This is what it, it's not like, is what he's saying. So look at the transience of human lives in verse 24. All flesh, meaning everything that's alive, is like grass. And all the glory like the flower of grass. In what way are we like grass? Like this. The grass withers and the flower falls. So he's talking about a specific aspect of plants and comparing us to plants. And the aspect is not the, the color of them. Uh, but how are we the same as plants? Well, plants wither. The flower falls. They're transient. They're ephemeral. They are temporary. And not only that, they are temperamental. They die easily. They're fragile. Now, Peter is quoting from Isaiah chapter 40. So 700 years before Peter said this, Isaiah said it. And 2,000 years after Peter said it, I'm saying it too. Valentine's Day is a scam. That's what Isaiah said 700 years before Peter, what Peter said 2,000 years ago. Why is it that we buy flowers on Valentine's Day? They don't last. In fact, uh, in the U.S. alone, $2.3 billion was spent on flowers on Valentine's Day alone. $2.3 billion in one day. If, if American husbands all got together and decided that one year we're just going to go all in and buy our wives plastic flowers, we would never have to do it again. 
instead of spending $2.3 billion every single year. And why don't we just reuse the flowers? Because they don't last beyond February 21st. And that's if you put that little special stuff in it that comes with it. Just by the way, I have taught you, if you buy flowers, you know how to carry them, right? You don't carry them like Americans where they die. You carry them down. And I was very happy to see even at Eli and Jenna's wedding. Did you notice that? She walked down the aisle carrying her flowers the right way. I think she was mocking me, but... <laughs> anyway, verse 24, All flesh is like grass, and the glory um, of... Like the flower of grass, grass withers, and the flower falls. This is what I like to call lawn care theology. When you mow your lawn, when you fertilize your lawn, I want you to think of this verse. Your lawn which is a, a hardy plant. I mean, God created grass so that people can walk on it, and yet it's still temperamental. A frost can kill it. A drought can kill it. You put a pot plant in there, and you move it, and it's all yellow and dead the next day. If you fertilize it too much, it dies. If you fertilize it too little, it dies. It's very temperamental. You know what else is temperamental? You. You and all your accomplishments. That's what this means. All flesh, all living things, including humans, is like grass and all its glory. Everything that humans do, everything that we produce, it's also temperamental. It can also die. It's also fragile. It's also temporary. There are so many ways to die, they can't even be numbered. You feed your body the wrong thing, it dies. You feed it too much of something, it dies eventually. You, you drop it too hard, it dies. You drop something on it, it dies. You don't give it enough water, it dies. You put the water in the wrong pipe for too long, it dies. I mean, your, your body can be killed by anything from an angry elephant to a, a virus and everything in between. We are extremely fragile. Moses wrote a psalm. Moses wrote Psalm 90. And he says this, You, O Lord, return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are like but as yesterday when it's past or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They're like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. The years of your life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They're soon gone. We fly away. So teach us to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom. This is a text I often read or preach from at funerals to remind people of the brevity of life. Lawn care theology. This is a goldfish theology. All flesh is like grass. All living things are like this. That's why it's good to have pets. You know, when you're a kid and you get your little goldfish, I was worried that my goldfish would be bored because we didn't have anything in the little goldfish tub. But then after my third goldfish funeral, you know, the flushing kind, my third goldfish funeral in, the, in as many months, I realized the fish doesn't live long enough to get bored. <laughs> but it's good because you teach your kids things you hear for a moment and then they're gone. But you know what's not like that? The Word of God. That's why... He talks about the permanence of God's word. So verse 24, all flesh is like grass, the glory uh, and all its glory like the flower of grass, the grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. 
God never utters an idle word. The word of God is our creator communicating with his creation. He tells us history. He tells us how he made the place. He tells us why he made the place. He tells us what pleases him, what he expects of us. He tells us what to love. He tells us what to hate. And he wrote it all down so that it can be translated, so that it can be spread, so that it can be studied, so that it can be preached. He wants us to know his will. And so he gave it to us in a form that endures. And everything that God says is precious and worth endurance. And when God speaks to you, he's not making suggestions. When he issues a command, you need to obey it. And those commands, they don't change and get updated and get watered down and get adapted to the culture. And that's what makes Christians increasingly at odds with our culture. Because the culture adapts away from God's will, but God's will never moves. And so at some point, you're going to seem extremely old-fashioned. That's a good thing. Because the word of the Lord remains forever. And it is perpetually relevant. Think about it. Human beings haven't changed. We're still sinful. Sin hasn't changed. The consequence of sin is hell. Hell hasn't changed. The only way through, of salvation is through Christ. That hasn't changed. The whole Old Testament was looking towards Christ coming. The whole New Testament is pointing towards what Christ has done. And that doesn't change. So if the word of the Lord remains forever and sin is the, the same and the problem is the same and the solution is the same, then the word of God is going to be relevant forever. Psalm 119, it's the longest psalm in the Bible. We're going to read it now in Hebrew. No, but I will, you can read it in your own time. The whole psalm is about the word of God. I'll give you a few sample verses. Psalm 119, verse 89. Forever, O Yahweh, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Verse 144, your testimonies are righteous forever. Verse 152, long have I known from your testimonies that you have founded them forever. Verse 160, the sum of your word is truth and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. God's rules endure forever. When Jesus came, he was saying things that sounded radically new because people had misapplied the word of God so much. And he was saying, Matthew 5, 17, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Now contrast that to what's happening in our world today. The permanence of God's word, the way his rules are righteous forever. They were founded in the heavens forever. They endure forever. But we, we want to change them. By we, I mean mankind. Even in religion. Religions sometimes need to you know, change with the times if they want to keep the number of adherents up there. 
Because your religion's only successful if you've got numbers, is what we're taught. People who haven't read the verses about narrow is the way to life. Few there are that find it. Broad is the way to destruction. Many are there who find that. And so on December 18th, 2023, last year, Pope Francis announced now that there will be Catholic priests may bless same-sex couples. This is from Associated Press in Rome. Pope Francis formally approved letting Catholic priests bless same-sex couples. The Vatican announced Monday, referring to December 18th, a radical shift in policy that aimed at making the church more inclusive while maintaining its strict ban on gay marriage. Unquote. Think about that. We don't allow gay people to be married because that's wrong. But that's really unpopular today. So we'll find this little loophole. The Catholic priest can now bless the same-sex union, but not marry them. I mean, the... They're not allowed to bless a man and a woman living together because that's wrong still. I mean, come on. This is like the Montagues and the Capulets telling Romeo and Juliet, listen, you can never get married. Montagues do not marry Capulets, but we'll bless the two of you living together. It doesn't make any sense. Why would they even do that? It's not because the Word of God says it's possible. The Word of God remains forever. It's because people want to change. You've got to keep your numbers up. You've got to get your money in. You've got, you got to change with the times. You've got to stay popular. But God said homosexuality was an abomination to him. Has that changed? Word of God remains forever. God says he created the world in six days. God says he made human beings male and female and assigned their genders to them. God says that sin leads to hell. God says the only way to be saved is through Jesus Christ. These things don't change. And the more the world change, changes and becomes more inclusive, the more we are going to be marginalized. And so I'm here to tell you, get ready. You know, if you don't believe this, if you don't believe that the word of God remains forever, then you don't have to worry about that problem. Because then you have bigger problems to worry about. Because at what point are you going to believe the Bible? You're going to just pick and choose? You're going to white out the parts you don't like? You're going to edit it? Second Timothy four, chapter two, uh, chapter four, verse two. Two Timothy four two. Preach the word, Paul told Timothy. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. We need to be ready as Christians 
to believe the word and apply the word in season and out of season. There will be times in human history where it's more fashionable and acceptable to be a Christian and hold Christian views. And there will be times in human history where it becomes unfashionable and unacceptable and unpopular and even dangerous to hold Christian views. And we need to be ready in season and out of season and do the same thing, and that's preach the word. Because the word of God remains forever. John Lennon in the 60s made that claim, you know, the Beatles, we're, we're more popular than Jesus Christ. Not anymore. I mean, have you been to a teenage party recently? They don't play, I want to hold your hand. And nobody's listening to the Beatles anymore. I mean, I, we are, right? Yeah, you know, the old folks. You know where they don't listen to the Beatles? Bhutan, Egypt, China. Three countries where I've been and seen the underground church thriving. I've never been to China, but I hear that it's the fastest growing Christian church in the world right now is the underground church in China. The word of God endures forever. Just before we go to the second point, I want to just have a little footnote here about the doctrine of preservation, which... In certain parts of the states and Canada, especially, there's some confusion on the doctrine of preservation. The doctrine of preservation teaches that God is not only able to produce his word, but to preserve it for generations, which we believe. But some of the confusion comes in that the way he preserves it is through a particular English translation, specifically the 1611 version of the King James Bible. And so some people think that the way God preserves his word is in that particular translation. So I want to be clear, that's not what the Bible teaches. Also, the Bible was written before that translation. So when we say that the Word of God is preserved, in God's brilliant genius ingenuity, he came up with this way of putting the Bible in multiple languages, in multiple parts of the world, in multiple translations, innumerable translations, so that... You can't get control of it. Put it only in Latin. Or put it only in Elizabethan, Elizabethan English, where only certain people in a certain language with a certain um, education can get it. People who live in South Africa don't struggle with King James onlyism because we have uh, nine official languages. Every government document has to be nine languages. We understand some people don't speak Elizabethan English. So I just want to put that out there. Okay, that's the eternality of God's word. Let's move to the mobility of God's word. Um, verse 25 says, But the word of the Lord remains forever, and this word is the good news that was preached to you. This word is the good news that was preached to you, or as the Legacy Standard Bible says, This is the word which was proclaimed to you as good news. It's the word... Um, evangelize, really, evangelion, the evangelism that was proclaimed to you as, as the good news, as the gospel. So Peter points out the amazing fact that the word of God is not secret, it is revealed. It is not stationary, it is mobile. It's, it's moving, it is spreading, it goes all over. That's what happened with this persecution. So the, the Jews would, who came to Pentecost in Jerusalem, who then got saved, this was just after the crucifixion of Christ, uh, the resurrection of Christ, and the Holy Spirit came down, 
And all of these people, 3,000 people get saved at Peter's first sermon on Pentecost. Then 5,000 people get saved. And nobody wanted to leave. That's why they were selling their property to, to fund the, the goings-on of that church because nobody wanted to leave. And you had all these people living in Jerusalem. But God said that he wanted the gospel to go out. He wanted them to take it to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. But everyone wanted to stay in Jerusalem because the apostles were there and teaching, and that's where the Holy Spirit was. And so with the stoning of Stephen, you have the first martyrdom in the church. And what happens? The church scatters. Now people are being killed in Jerusalem for being Christians, so everyone leaves. And spreads out. Not everyone, because the church of Jerusalem stayed there. But people go back home. Then there's persecution. And God allows this persecution to push these people even further. That's why the beginning of Peter is to, you know, Bithynia and Cappadocia and uh, Pontus and Galatia. These Christians have been spread all over. It's the mobility of God's word that's pushed through persecution. Now we've come to the point where we live in a place where we're not persecuted. We don't have to leave the state's because of our Christianity. In fact, the states was formed because people had to leave Europe for their Christianity. So now what do we do? Well, we raise up missionaries and we send them to all the places we haven't been yet. The mobility of God's word. This is an amazing feature of God's word that it endures forever and that it spreads. This is the word, this is the good news that was preached to you, he says. You who are now scattered. The word of God goes out with power, with speed. It's not like a, a niche little hidden band that only plays in underground taverns. It's on a grand world tour. Isaiah 55 verse 10 says, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed and the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out of my mouth. It shall not return to me void or empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. God is saying that the same way water comes down from heaven and doesn't just pop straight up, but does what it's meant to do to cause fruit in the same way my word will go out and it doesn't just pop back, it does what it's meant to do and it grows fruit. That's us. We are the ones that have had the word of God preached to us that took root in our souls, the word that's implanted in us that caused us to be born again by the abiding word of God, which Peter just said, that's what caused you to be born again, is that the gospel came into you, the good news that Jesus lived and died and rose again for you, that you've believed that now you can produce fruit. And part of that fruit is telling other people about it. So the word of the the Lord goes out with power and speed all over the globe. It's been doing that for centuries. But how? Turn to Romans chapter 10 for a moment. Because I know you've all heard the question, what about the person in the Amazon who hasn't heard? You know, you heard that question. I think I've told you before, when, when Noah was in um, the first grade in a Christian school in South Africa, the teacher was teaching the gospel to the kids, and one of the kids asked that question. What about the, the people in the Amazon? Because, you know, Americans say, what about the person in Africa who hasn't heard the gospel? Well, the people in Africa know that we've heard the gospel, so we say, what about the people in the Amazon? I've been to the Amazon, by the way. They've also heard the gospel there. <laughs> they say, what about the people in Finland? But um, so the, 
What about the person in the Amazon who hasn't heard the gospel? So let's just say there's a person out there who somewhere in Finland or, or Amazon or Africa who hasn't ever heard about Jesus Christ. What happens to them? And so the teacher, bless her heart, tries to offer some comfort to these kids saying, well, because she's just told them no one goes to heaven unless they believe in Jesus. What about the person who doesn't have the chance because they don't care about Jesus? So she tells the class that person still goes to heaven because they weren't given the choice. So my little first grader says, <clears throat> actually, <laughs> no, I'm, he was very respectful and he asked the question, are you sure? And they knew that, well, his dad's a pastor. So she said, why don't we send Noah home with his assignment to go and ask his dad, and then we'll, we'll find out. So he comes home, and he says, what happens to the person in Amazon who's never heard the gospel? I said, well, I don't want you to just go and say, well, my dad says that they go to hell. Um, <laughs> you know, I don't want to be that guy. So I said, I'll tell you what. Why don't you go back with this verse? So we wrote down a verse, and he took it to his teacher, and it was this verse. Romans 10. Verse 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent, as it's written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So, do you follow Paul's argument? Everybody who believes in the Lord and calls on him, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So, anyone, anywhere, at any time in history, calls out to Jesus to save them, they will be saved. But, how will they call on him if they don't believe? Because some people know about Jesus, but they don't believe, so they don't call on him, so they're not saved. That's his argument. Or, how are they even supposed to believe if they've never even heard his name? So Paul's argument is, this is why we send people out. Because how are they going to call on him if they don't believe? How are they going to believe if they don't hear? How are they going to hear unless we send someone to preach it? There would be absolutely no point in having missions at all. In fact, the, most, the best thing you could do for the whole world is be very quiet about the gospel. Don't tell anyone. If no one ever hears about Jesus, they all go to heaven. That's the exact opposite of what the Bible says. You only go to heaven if you believe in Jesus. You only believe in Jesus if you've heard his name. You only hear his name if someone preaches it. So that's why we send missionaries, but that's why we send you to work. Well, you think you went to work, what, so you could afford your cable bill? God wants you to work so that you have an opportunity to share the gospel. He wants you to work so that you are contributing to society, that you are worshiping him, that you are being a good witness and have some credibility and that you're not being a freeloader and, and that you're, you're actually bringing something to this world. But why? 
so that you can tell people about Jesus. Every career you have is just tent making. It's just a platform for the gospel, if you're doing it right. Think about it. God could easily have chosen to use angels to proclaim the gospel instead of humans. They'd be so much better at it. And in fact, the book of Revelation tells us during the time of the tribulation, he actually does that. It was an angel that's sent to preach the gospel. God could easily have put the gospel message on snowflakes and just dumped them all over the world. And, and he, he could have done anything he wanted, but he chose a very specific way to communicate. He chose a very specific tool to use to reach the world. And that tool is feet. Feet, that's what it says. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. Why the feet? Why not the lips? Because the feet are mobile. That's the whole point. How are they going to know unless we send people to them? That's you. Get out there. Use your feet. Or your wheelchair or your walker or whatever it is. Get around. Use the internet. Use your cell phone. Contact people. Build relationships. Be the kind of person that they can trust. Be the kind of person that has a relationship with them. So you have compassion. So you have kindness. So that you're helping them. So that when there's a need, they know who to turn to. And when they turn to you, you've got Jesus for them. God wants his words to be carried around by people whose lives have been affected by the gospel so that we are walking, talking, breathing billboards for the power of God. That's how the word of God gets around. We teach people. That's why parents need to teach their children the Bible. It's not the church's job to teach your kids the Bible. We help you. It's your job to teach your kids the Bible. And some people say, well, you know, my, I've, I've heard parents say, I'm, I'm going to let my kids grow up and make up their minds for themselves. You don't do that with medicine for them. My kid's kind of sick. I'm just going to open the medicine cabinet and say, have at it. Pick what you want. You don't do that. If Jesus Christ is the true way, the only way, then it is your responsibility and privilege to offer him to your children. So, Preach the word. Now, some people say, well, I had this wonderful opportunity this week. I, I got to uh, talk about religion with my neighbor. So that's good as part of building a relationship and building credibility or that. But I want you to understand you haven't shared the gospel until you share the gospel. It's like the mailman comes to your door and talks to you about the price of stamps and the quality of envelopes, and then walks away. Well, he hasn't delivered the goods until the message is in your hand, right? So you can talk about religion. You can even talk about Jesus with people, but until you give them the gospel, you haven't finished your task. So how do you know when you've done enough? How do you know when you've said enough, when you've preached the gospel? This is what you have to tell people. You have to tell them very simply about the person and the work of Jesus Christ. A lot of people stop with the person. They talk about Jesus and who he is. They don't talk about the work. Person and work of Jesus Christ. That's what saves people. Knowing, understanding, believing the person and work of Jesus Christ. So the person, he's the son of God. He's not just another 
good person or a prophet or whatever. He, he was different. He's fully God and fully man and sinless. So you got you to get that in there, that he's righteous and sinless. Doesn't deserve death. Part of the work of Christ that you move into, well, you got to talk about sin because that's what he came to do. He came to live that perfect life and then offer it as a substitute for sinful people. So he's righteous, you're sinful. So this is the gospel. So you mentioned the person of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and he's sinless. And his work is, though he was sinless, he died on the cross in a sacrificial death as a substitute. As long as you remember the word substitute, you're going to be fine. Because you're going to say, as a substitute, and then they'll look like this. And then you say, you know, in place of you. That's what we mean when we say, Jesus died for my sins. On behalf of me. On behalf of my guilt. And then you mention the resurrection. Because the resurrection is the, what seals the whole message that it was true. That, yes, he died on the cross, but he rose again. Showing that God agrees that he was the son of God. And that death could not hold him person of Jesus Christ is the son of God and he's sinless. The work of Jesus Christ, he died on the cross on behalf of sinners and he rose again. And then what they do with that is up to them and God. But at that point, you've given them the message. If they don't want to read the envelope, uh, don't worry about my metaphor. But if they don't want to accept that and believe it, that's between them and the Lord. You've done your part then. Their blood is not on your head then all they need to do is believe that message and they will be saved. So leave here today knowing this. Nothing that you do in life is as important as your role being a carrier of God's word. I'm not saying nothing you do in life is important. God's called you to be a good husband and a good wife and a good child and a good student and a good, good citizen and all these things. But nothing that you do is as important as your role as a bearer of the good news. And if you know the gospel, it is your privilege and your responsibility to share that with others. And that's how the word of God is mobile. If you don't know where to start of getting the word of God in your brain, pick a gospel. Usually I say John because there's a lot of claims about Jesus and who he is. But if, if you want to read the Gospel of Luke, you get something you don't understand, you can go find the sermons we've preached on Luke. We've done the same in John. We're preaching through Luke at the moment. So read the Bible, and when you don't understand something, you read a commentary, or you listen to a sermon from someone you trust, you get advice, you figure out what it means. And as that Word of God is permeating you, and you're understanding it and apply it to your life, you will be able to share that with other people as well. So read the gospel, pray for an opportunity this week, be faithful to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. You have the word of God. What will you do with it? Let's pray. And Heavenly Father, it is a great privilege that we have your word in our language, in a country that allows us to read it, talk about it, share it. I pray that you would help us to use that stewardship, that we would be faithful to speak of your son this very week, that you would give us opportunities to speak of Jesus and who he is and what he's done for the world. 
but you so loved the world that you gave your son so that we could believe in him and thus not perish. And so we pray these things in his name. Amen.